You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Amen. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18 in our series, um, Putting on Christ. We're trying to answer that question out of Romans. What does it mean to put on Christ? And so today we'll go to that text. If you're using one of the Bibles nearby in a seat in front of you or around you somewhere, it'll be on page 1026. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. God's Word says, and depending on which version of the CSB you have, they've made a couple of updates. This may say yoked or partnered. Um, This one on the screen says yoked. Do not become partners with those who do not believe, or do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our head and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you communicate with us and you commune with us and that you love us like a good father. Lord, thank you for the salvation that you have bought with your blood for us. Now, Lord, I know we have a difficult word ahead of us, and we just ask that you would fill me with your spirit to preach it right and well. Take away anything that you would not have said. Lord, if I've not prepared something that it needs to be said, Lord, put it in my mind and in my mouth so that it can be in the ears of your people. God, let us to hear this and respond well to this, that we wouldn't be like those who look at our face in a mirror and quickly forget, but that we would be the hearers and doers of your word. But we need that equipping in us. So thank you, Lord, for that. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So um, this past July, it's not that long ago, organizers for the Handcart Days Parade contacted us and called, and they asked if our pastors would like to ride in a handcart days parade float, or car actually, like an old-timey car, probably a convertible, they would have a printed sign on the side with who we were and where we were from. The idea was they wanted to have the local uh, church pastors, as a representation of part of the community, be riding in their parade cars with the parade signs and whatnot. And I respectfully declined. Every year around this same time, it's, I'm waiting for the phone call or the email, I get a request for churches to take part in the JustServe.org 9-11 Day of Service. Maybe you've seen some of the banners cropping up around our community. And every year, I respectfully decline. Now, what's my problem? Do I not like parades? No, I like parades. Parades are great. Do I not like community service? No, community service is really good. We, we need to be about community service. I pray that God would give us a bigger heart for community service. 
So then why? Why would I decline? Well, I decline because of 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. That's why I take that seriously. If you were to visit handcartdays.org and then click on the About section, you will read the following, and I quote, Between the years of 1856 and 1860, more than 3,000 members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints embarked west across the American prairie on a long and treacherous journey to the Salt Lake Valley with only a wooden handcart to carry their belongings. The annual celebration of handcart days has been held since 1950 in the northern Utah community of Bountiful to honor the sacrifices and contributions of these pioneers, end quote. So while I understand the celebration is about the pioneers who settled Utah, those pioneers and, and this parade and this history is clearly and inseparably linked to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you were to visit justserve.org, this is where our service activity, if we participated, would be listed there among all the people working together to serve our community. If you were to go there and look at the 9-11 day of service, and you scroll down to the bottom of that page, you would read the following, and I quote, justserve.org is provided as a service by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, end quote. Now, before you think I'm being unfriendly toward the LDS organization, before you think I'm being mean or, or trying to attack anything, I, I just want you to know that I've explained my convictions about this text and, and about that partnership with their leadership. Sometimes their leadership actually is here, participating in this service. I've met with them and have talked with them about it, and I think it's fair to say we've had conversations about the differences between uh, our beliefs and their beliefs, and they've been uh, very respectful, and they appreciate that I take a stand on my convictions. They, they actually hold that fairly high regard. They're, they appreciate it. We've had lunch together, stake presidents and various leadership, to talk about these differences and to talk about what that looks like in our community. It was a fantastic lunch. We had a wonderful time. I would do it again anytime. If any of them are watching the live stream, let's do it again. It was great. A couple of their stake presidents and leadership actually invited the leadership of this church to a dinner, and we all, all of us got together and had a fantastic time, had a fantastic conversation. It was a wonderful meal. It was fantastic. Even at one point in time, I was invited as a Baptist pastor. It was very obvious they needed a Baptist pastor. And then they were surprised to learn I was from around here and not from the Bible Belt. Um, I was invited to go tour the Riverton Temple before they opened that up to the public, before they rededicated it. And they had some, an apostle and some people from the Quorum of the Seventy and the president of a ladies' thing, and they had their high-level leadership there to do kind of a media thing with the Baptist pastors. And we went through on a tour, uh, a more extended tour than typical, and it was fantastic, and we had a really good theological conversation, and we talked about our differences and different convictions. It wasn't a bad thing. It was fantastic. Okay, so why would I do some of those things, but not the handcart days, the parade, or, or not the day of service? Again, it comes back to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Christians should not be yoked or partnered with unbelievers in a way that causes confusion 
or jeopardizes the consistency of our Christian witness or works towards separate kingdom goals or causes us to violate the standards of our faith. When Christians, when we Christians put on Christ, we put off the world. And now there's got to be serious consideration given to these partnerships. So when you read this, and when I read it, you probably thought we were talking about you know, marriage, and this was going to be a, you know, something for the single people, not to be unequally yoked and marry an unbeliever. And, and this text does apply to that. But it applies to so much more. There's such a bigger principle here that I really think we need to understand. So here's what we see. We see Paul showing us that that in this life that we're in now, as we're passing through and heading to the celestial kingdom into eternity, we are in one of two realms or two kingdoms, right? This this is a, a text that's showing us two kingdoms juxtaposed against one another, and you see it right here in the text. One realm is the kingdom of the unbeliever. The kingdom here in the text is described with words like lawlessness, darkness, and idolatry. It's unclean, it says, and it's satanic. You go, Satan, I didn't see that. Belial, in verse 15, is a word that means worthless, and it's actually used as a name for Satan. Only once in the New Testament, but many times in the Old Testament under that name. This is Satan's kingdom. It's unclean, it's full of idolatry, it's, it's satanic. It's the realm of Belial, or Satan. Ephesians 2, 1-5, through 5, makes something crystal clear that we must not forget as we look at these two kingdoms. Anyone who is a believer in the other kingdom, the kingdom of God, was once a citizen of the kingdom of Belial, the kingdom of Satan. It is only by the grace of God and the power of Jesus Christ that we have been rescued from that kingdom and made citizens of the other kingdom. So we have the one. Now we have the other kingdom. And it is described in this text with words like righteousness and light. We have a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of light. In this kingdom there is no darkness. The people of this world are the temple of God, this text said. Verse 16. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is God's kingdom. Now the word from where we get don't be mismatched or don't be unequally yoked specifically draws a picture for us because it's the word for yoke like Pastor Josiah was sharing with us. It's the word for this plow team, this thing that holds them together. It's the wooden beam that goes across the animal's shoulders. It has some rings that attach the animal to the beam and then rings that attach ropes from that team back to the plow where the plow is going to work. And if you're struggling to imagine this, as we heard Pastor Josiah say too, there's probably one of these big wooden beams hanging up at the Cracker Barrel or the Maddox Steakhouse. It's that big wooden thing with some metal stuff. That's what we're talking about. That's the yoke. But more significantly, it's what happens in the yoke that this text is trying to draw our attention to. And Paul specifically wants us to think. He's trying to say, hey, be alerted here by using this illustration. We need to remember Deuteronomy 22.10. That's what he's doing. Deuteronomy 22.10 says, Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. These two worlds are as different as an ox and a donkey. These are different realities that we 
can be in, one or the other. And the yoke is a helpful illustration because the animals in the yoke are bound together for a single purpose. They're not there to do their own things. They're they're there to do one purpose, in the case of the animals in the yoke, to pull with all their might a plow so we can make nice straight rows for farming or whatever else they might use that. I mean, that's the tractor of of their day. And the, the language that Paul uses in the connection besides yoke in the text we're looking at, and here these words are partnership, fellowship, agreement, and to have in common. That's all the descriptors right here. That he's tied to this idea of being yoked together. So Christians laboring to, to plow a field, so to speak, for the kingdom of Christ cannot yoke up with others who have serious differences or they will not be able to accomplish the work that God gave them to do. It just it will not go well, and you're thinking, well, what, okay, what's the, what's the big deal? Well, let's really think about this for a minute. Okay, so an ox and a, and a donkey, imagine... And I just did some Google work. I don't know much about these giant farm animals. So I just did some work to find out some averages. Imagine a 2,500-pound ox that can pull 3,000 pounds and stands five feet tall at the yoke at that point. That's a beast. Like, that thing is a powerhouse. Imagine that animal, that ox, teamed up with a 700-pound stubborn donkey that only pulls 1,400 pounds and only stands three and a half feet at the yoke. This is going to be a disaster, right? You don't have to be a farmer to know that. It's going to be bad. It's going to be a mess. It's not going to go well. The mission is not going to get accomplished well, and the farmer will probably end up just cussing a lot and eventually shoot one of the two. Which one do you think he's going to shoot? (laughs) Now, I realize I use these requests we get from the LDS organization, you know, from our neighbors and our friends that want to do something together as my opening example. I recognize that that can be a little bit dicey here. I could have used the Jehovah's Witness, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, churches that preach a prosperity gospel, uh, Muslims. I could have used any one of them, and I still would have had to have done the exact same thing. I would have to consider their work to work together, the invitation against what God's word says. I would have to weigh it out, and the results would likely be the same. Right? I have to use 2 Corinthians chapter 6 here, these verses, as my guide. Right? Sometimes I have people in our church, people who visit here, who suggest that our work and our goals... For the kingdom of God are the same as those in the LDS organization. But but hear me out here. If that were true, if that were really right, the LDS wouldn't need to send their missionaries to our homes, and we wouldn't have a desire to send our missionaries to theirs. If this were true, they would have no issue with a pastor like me from a Baptist church going to their Sunday morning worship service, and taking, uh, they call it sacrament, the Lord's table with them, they would have no issue there. We could come to unity around the Lord's table together um, if this were true. I think they would have some concerns with me doing that, and that would be okay. They should. And honestly, so should we. Right? To be in unity with the LDS faith, for me, I would have to completely change my confession of faith and my convictions that I stand on 
because it's recorded in the first chapter of their prophet's history account, right, the books of their, their religious literature, that their God told him that the confessions, the belief statements, and the creeds of the Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians are wrong and an abomination. You can read that in the first chapter yourself. Those are my creeds. Those are my confessions, and many of you in this church, if you're a member here, you've agreed to some of those same beliefs. And I'm unwilling to change my convictions to partner up with that. I can't, I can't do it because I take 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 very seriously. And honestly, if the LDS want to take 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 seriously, and I think they should, they should have grave concerns partnering with me because I hold to those confessions that their God said is an abomination. They shouldn't want to partner with me. Because we're not doing the same kingdom work with the same kingdom goals if all, all these things are true. Now, I know this is really tough stuff. We live in Utah. Many of us have family members and, and friends and coworkers who are LDS. Some of you were LDS and have come out of that. This is tough stuff. But if we're going to trust Scripture, we need to be okay with this tough stuff. And we need to be okay to have conversations with them, like I've had conversations at lunch with them about these things. We need to be big boys and big girls with big boy pants on, right? It's okay. It's okay. We often use this particular scripture when we talk about singles getting married to non-believers. Isn't that what we, isn't that where, if I said, don't be unequally yoked, what was the first thing that popped into your head? Some single person considering marrying somebody who's not a believer. That's where we always go. That's true. Because these are the same principles with partnership, with kingdom goals, but there is so much more. We never very often dig under the surface to see what this is really about because we just let that sort of lead us out in it. But let's think about this a little bit more. Okay, let's deal first with the marriage piece because that is a partnership. Let's look at this. Scripture makes it clear that marriage is a serious partnership, a serious fellowship, a serious agreement together for the kingdom work and for kingdom goals, I would argue that it is the most serious of all partnerships on the face of this earth. Earthly partnerships, the most. Because of the magnitude of that partnership, Genesis 2.24 tells us that a man would leave his father and mother, his family, to bond with his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. They're one unit, one being, if you will, but that's how tight the partnership is, one flesh. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 shows us that, that if our marriage is not right, if this partnership, this fellowship is not right, then our communion with God is going to be hindered and our prayers might not be answered. That's how serious this partnership is. That's how serious marriage is. That's why we can't be so flippant with marriage about what it is and what it isn't, who gets to say what it is and who gets to say what it isn't. God says what it is. God defines who's married because it's this important. And Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 teaches us that marriage is actually the model, the very structure of how the church, this local church, is to operate. Between all of us together, and also between us and Christ as the bride of Christ. It's a picture of marriage. Bride language is marriage language. That's how important this is. That's how important the partnership is here. So, as we evaluate a potential spouse, and I know some of us are beyond that point. You shouldn't be evaluating anymore. You're done. You've made your decision. <laughs> but 
if you haven't, if you're single and you're evaluating your potential spouse, we've got to recognize that an unequally yoked marriage, that is one with an with a believer between an unbeliever, is going to be a complete disaster for the kingdom labors and kingdom goals. It's going to be very difficult for you and your spouse who, who uh, doesn't hold the same affections for God as you to serve the Lord. Or maybe you're the one with the weak affections for God. If you guys aren't on the same page, that's going to be real tough. So for those of you who are single, it is really important that you evaluate this when you're looking towards this kingdom partnership that God has defined as marriage. You need to ask some questions. Will both of you glorify God together, or will even trying to do that be a challenge? Will you train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord together, or will this be another source of challenge for you? Will you submit your finances to the Lordship of Jesus Christ together, or will you fight over the area of money management, and will God get the bum deal in all of it? Will your time be given over to kingdom labor, and service together or not? These are really important questions you need to ask before you yoke up together. It's serious. Now, for those of you who are married, you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't do so well, so I guess I got an out. I get a free pass, because it's see how it's not working? Time to get out of this thing. No, 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 no. God hates divorce. He's not, he's not giving you an out. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7... 12 through 16, he actually gives instructions for those who are in that situation, who by, for whatever reason, maybe you got married into that from the get-go. Maybe one person got saved and one person was still an unbeliever, and that would be a great struggle. All sorts of things can happen. He gives instructions for those of you who are in that boat to stay married, if at all possible, if the other will still have you, and to continue to serve the Lord to the best of your ability and to trust him. If that's you, your homework is to read 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. This is an important partnership. The marriage yoke is probably like the entirely top level tier of these partnerships, but the principle is still the same when it comes to business relationships and friendships and meaningful partnerships for the sake of the kingdom. The principle is the same, even if the the level of relationship is lower. Okay, so if you're going to form a partnership that in any way is going to have kingdom goals, the text instructs you to avoid the partners that or avoid the partnership if it will cause confusion or jeopardizes the consistency of your Christian witness or works towards separate kingdom goals or causes you to violate the standards of your faith. Right? Some people take this to an extreme. I really don't think it's going to be problematic if you get into a mutual fund with a thousand other people to deal with your retirement. Okay, That's not what kind of partnerships we're talking about here. Okay? This doesn't mean you have to have a Christian real estate agent, otherwise you're in sin. That's not the kind of partnerships we are talking about. We're talking about partnerships that have kingdom goals and do kingdom work and provide kingdom witness. Okay? So if you're starting a business, you might want to be really serious about thinking through the partnership. If you, if you partner with an unbeliever or if you partner with someone who doesn't have the same goals, how are you going to run your business together in a way that honors God? What are your priorities going to be? What's that going to look like? How does that work? Or maybe uh, you want to get together with some other homeschool families and you want to have a co-op. You know, you want to evaluate what that partnership looks like and what your goals are and what the kingdom purposes might be. Or maybe you're getting a roommate in an apartment and you're, you're going to partner in paying really expensive rent together, right, to make it a little easier. What is that going to look like? What's it going to look like in your home? What are the house rules going to be? How's that going to go? 
These are big things we should think about. Maybe you're thinking about starting a band or something. You know, like, what is this going to look like? Think through your partnerships. Okay, I know most of you are not musical. Maybe you're thinking about starting a bowling league. I don't know. Like, (laughs) evaluate what the purpose of the partnership is and what the goals of the partnership are. and, And is there a kingdom impact and a kingdom purpose? And if so, you better take God's instructions seriously at whatever appropriate level you need to take that seriously. That's what we're getting at here to avoid confusion and messing up witness and all sorts of things, right? Now, some of you are suddenly thinking of a new loophole. Well, I couldn't get out of my marriage, but now I can get out of being around any people because I can't have any partnerships. I have French, I'm out. I'm just going to hit the ejector seat and I'm going to jump out of this whole thing with people, right? You cannot separate yourself from unbelievers and use this text as your excuse because this has to do with serious kingdom partnerships, not every relationship with people you're going to have, right? That, that would make everything Jesus did look disastrous, right? He was accused so constantly of eating with sinners, okay? Eating with sinners was his ministry, but he wasn't forming a ministry partnership with those unsaved sinners. He was doing his ministry and having meals with them and, and working through that. In 1 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, like, if you were to remove yourself from all sinners, all idolatrous, idolatrous people, you'd have to leave this world. It would be impossible. Right? So we say that's not what Paul's getting at. It's just in those particular partnerships that are serving to glorify God in those ways. John 17 records Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he prays that we would not be of this world, that we would be otherworldly, but he said he wasn't going to remove us from this world, but instead asked that we would be empowered in this world, right? He's going to leave us here for a purpose. You know what the purpose is? To partner with Jesus in Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost and glorify God. We are left in this world that is no longer our own, in this other kingdom, so to speak, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to partner with Jesus on Jesus' mission, Okay, so we've talked about some really significant earthly partnerships. Jesus is the most significant partnership we can have, and it is because of our partnership with Jesus that our partnership with all other people has to be weighed. He's saying, because of the partnership you have with me, in which you are a temple of the living God, you have to weigh out your other partnerships. This passage of Scripture is showing us these two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness, Satan's realm, right, and the kingdom of light, Jesus' kingdom, and and we're all in the kingdom of darkness. At least we were. Some of you still are there. Some of you are still partnering in that kingdom with Satan, but Jesus rescues us from that kingdom and brings us into his own. He bought us with his blood. He paid the price so that we could be in a partnership with Jesus in his family, in his kingdom. We're partnered with him. We're partnered with him. He's now in us, and he's working through us. It's a significant partnership. And by the way, have you ever thought about how remarkable that really is, that he would even do such a thing? I know who I used to be, and I even know who I am now, and I find it amazing that Jesus would partner with me and entrust me with the work that Jesus wants to do. I'm a big screw-up, and I'm going to drop the ball a lot, and yet he still goes, hey, let's do this together for me. Think of that. And then think of this. 
Jesus is in us. He's working through us for his mission. So when we yoke up with others to do his work, right, with this phenomenal kingdom power working in us, the very work of God working through us, and we yoke up to somebody who doesn't have Jesus in them, that is a very, very unequally yoked situation. It's more than an ox and a mule. Right? It's serious, and it's going to be a problem. So he's just advising, stay out of it before you get into it. You're doing kingdom work. Work with God's kingdom people. And by the way, this is why membership in a local church is so important. That's the way in which we measure if we're equally yoked together on the same purposes with the same kingdom goals. That's what local church membership is. It's why we need to take it seriously. It's why we try to take it seriously here. It's what God is asking us of us. We're partnering together for his work. We need to make sure that's a strong and solid, Christ-centered, equally yoked partnership. That's what membership is. That's what we're trying to do here. It's serious. So as Christians, if we put on Christ, it means we put off the world. And if we put off the world, we, we shouldn't be getting into these worldly partnerships. We shouldn't be partnering up with those of the other world. World of Belial. Light doesn't partner with darkness. If we do, we might be jeopardizing the mission that Christ has given us. We might become the weak link. We might become the problem. This is why we have the warning. This is why I will eat with my neighbors and friends that are still dwelling in the other kingdom, but I won't partner with them for mission, ministry, kingdom work. We need to take this seriously. I want to encourage that you take this seriously. I want to challenge you to think seriously about what it is we are doing. Why did Jesus leave us and pray for us to be equipped and empowered in this world, but not of the world? Because we have work to do. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Or righteousness with lawlessness? Church, we need to keep our labor untainted for the glory of God. And all of our partnerships, and all of our mission work, especially in our marriages, if at all possible, let us be sure that we are equally yoked for the kingdom work ahead so that God will be richly magnified. And that we will make much of him by the partnerships we get in now. We've partnered first with him. He's asking us, based on that partnership, to think very carefully about our other partnerships. I want to encourage that we do that. Because if we do, the work that we do will be absolutely empowered by God and magnificent. So stay away from the unequally yoked partnerships and get into some big partnerships to do some good kingdom work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you would save us out of this other world and partner with us. Thank you that you would even entrust to us the handling of your bride, the church, the work of your mission to the world, your witness of who you are to the lost world. You would send us back in and pray for us and equip us. Lord, it's amazing we get to join you in your work to seek and save the lost, to glorify the Father, to make much of you. I, it's shocking to me. So Lord, give us the, the wherewithal and the wisdom to do this well, to not get into poor partnerships, 
to get into right partnerships, even as we evaluate our other church partnerships and our other working with churches. Lord, please, I'm asking that you would give us the wisdom to know when to partner and when not to partner and give the other biblical churches around in our neighborhood the wisdom to know when to partner and when not to partner. Lord, help us to stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ for the sake of advancing your kingdom and glorifying you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.